We are reading from Nehemiah chapter 5. We will begin our main verses, is verses 12 through to verses 19. But in order for us to get the context, I want to begin at verses 9. <clears throat> so let's read together. So I continued, what, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God and avoid the reproach of your Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money grain and new wine and olives, olive oil. Their response in verses 12, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more, more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials to take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook, my, shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may, may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this the whole assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors those who preceded, preceding me placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also loaded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not inquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every, ten, and every ten days, an abundant supply of wine, all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demand were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I've done for these people. And Lord, we ask you to open our Yes, that we may hear you, to open our minds that we may understand, 
and to open our hearts that we may obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. We come back this morning to Nehemiah chapter 5. We're picking up from where Arno left last Sunday. He looked last Sunday on the first half of this chapter. And this morning we're picking up from where he had left. And we noticed last Sunday what I have called a twofold confrontation. First, we saw Nehemiah confronted by a great outcry from the masses, most of which were women. They were mothers who were trying to care for their families and their children. But while they were doing this, they were struggling to make the ends meet. They were struggling to provide basic needs for their families, everyday basic needs for their families. You ask, what happened? Why did these women cried out to Nehemiah? Why were they struggling that they could not contain themselves? What seems to have happened is that those among them who had financial muscle, were somehow taking advantage of their desperate situation. They were exploiting their dire situation or the dire situation of these who were poor among them. They were lending them money uh, with huge, with high interest rates. And so Nehemiah heard this report, and when he heard it, it stirred him up. It stirred anger inside of him. Verses 6 says, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. This is a justifiable anger. Nehemiah's anger is justifiable in this instance. This is what we call righteous anger. Anger at the abuse of power. Anger at the abuse of exploitation and injustice of those who cannot speak or stand for themselves. But even though this is what we call righteous anger, we can learn something from Nehemiah because Nehemiah does not respond in anger to the people whom the charge is brought against. Nehemiah doesn't get up as soon as he hears this news and confront these people. No, we are told that he took time and thought about what he has been told. He pondered on it. I think that's something we need to catch as a culture today. It's something we need to get hold of. We quick to speak and think later. We quick to say very hurtful things and then ponder later. 
But Nehemiah pondered on these things. He asked himself, what is the appropriate way to respond? How do I not let my emotions be the guiding force in this matter? This is not to say emotions are wrong, but how do I not let them be the ones that are guiding me? Having done that, he then saw it appropriate that he has to say something. He has to do something about what he's heard. So first, we have this great outcry confronting Nehemiah. The second confrontation is Nehemiah himself. Having taken time to think about what he has been told, he then confronted the people whom were charged. As he confronted them, there is something again that we can learn in his confrontation. He doesn't want them only to see their treatment to their fellow brothers or as a socio-economic issue. Of course, it was that. It was about social status and economic status. But Nehemiah doesn't only want them to walk away with that narrative. He wants to go to the root of the issue. What you are doing is not right, verses 10. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God? Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God? Of God. So Nehemiah sees this as deeply spiritual. He sees their behavior as deeply theological. What does that mean? It's about their understanding of their relationship with God. How do they understand their relationship with God? Deeply spiritual. But Deeply theological, how do they understand who God is? What is their understanding of the nature of God? Who God is and what he does. He wants to bring both of these as, they, as he confronts them about their issue. He recognized that they have abused their power, they have abused their position, but he wants them to think deeper than their action, what caused them. In other words, Nehemiah was saying to them, you are living in disobedience to the law of God. If you go back to Deuteronomy and see what Scripture says about how we are to treat one another, you are living in disobedience. That's what Nehemiah was confronting them with. It's a deeply spiritual issue, and it's deeply theological. In Psalm 146, we read these beautiful words, which gives us a nature of who God is. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord their God. Now listen to these words. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. 
The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves righteousness. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. So Nehemiah is saying to them, how can you claim to know this God of Psalm 146 and still treat your fellow brothers as you have done? How can you claim to have a relationship with this God of Psalm 146 and still claim to belong to God? So Nehemiah's confrontation to these fellow Jews is what I like to call a gospel-shaped view of other people a gospel-shaped view and treatment of other people. What does that mean? It means in, in understanding of what God has done for me, in light of what God has done for me, His kindness, His grace, His generosity, naturally then, I, I should be the one who wants to share that same to others. It's a gospel-shaped view, gospel-shaped treatment of other people. We acknowledge the grace, the kindness, the generosity that we ourselves have been recipients of. And because we acknowledge that we are the recipients of God's grace, kindness, and generosity, we therefore want to share it with others. Now, where we are this morning, we're picking up their response to Nehemiah's confrontation. If you want to follow the flow of this chapter, I'm going to be very brief. You see the chapter begins by this outcry, followed by the great response of the people, and finishes by a great example. Let's look at the response of the people. Having received this confrontation from Nehemiah, which is deeply spiritual, how are they, are they going to respond? Verses 12. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Their response to Nehemiah is a Godward response. Verses 12 and verses 13 tells us, Further on, we are told that Nehemiah summoned the priests to come because now he wants to treat their response as an oath, as something that they are officially promising that they will never ill-treat the poor brothers among themselves. And having done that, we are told that he shook his official garment as a sign of sealing the oath that they were doing. So their response is a God-what 
response. But also, we see a solemn moment. The whole assembly, verses 13, said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people said, We will do as you said. So, not only now they want to obey the words of Nehemiah, but they also want to honor God in the way in which they treat these brothers. How do we apply this message to us today? Well, the first thing that it demands of all of us is consistency in the way in which we live. My life should be the same. My church life and my business life should speak to the fact that I belong to God. It's easy to say that than to do it. But if you are a Christ follower, that's the demand. Not from your church, but from the relationship you have from Jesus. Even those who were trying to catch Jesus, they said when they were speaking about him, in him there is no... He doesn't treat people differently. He treats people the same. These are the people who are trying to catch him. But when it comes to the way in which he treated people, they could not fault him. So that's the first thing. Others may say, well, business is business. I agree, business is business, but you are different as a child of God. This man, when you look on surface, on the surface, they were charging percentage, but they were exploiting their brothers. So we need to think about some of the things we do in our business, in our workplaces. We need to think, how do they reflect God to those who are outside? Nehemiah says to them, how can you bring more curry to God? Remember that there are outsiders, he tells them, who are looking at the way in which you conduct yourselves. And now you have brought reproach on us. We need to see the church as the family of God. And if the church is the family of God, it means God is our Father. And anyone who belongs to God is your brother and your sister in Christ. That's another thing we learn. If the church is the family of God, God is our Father, therefore we all share the same Father. So how can you treat your fellow brother in that way? Here in chapter 5, something else happens. The whole building project is put on hold. Not one brick is laid. As if to say, what good it is that the wall is completed, but the people living in those walls cannot be distinguished from the world. 
what good that it is, what good that would be. It doesn't serve any purpose. Their behavior is the same with the world. Nehemiah wants to remind them that it's not enough for the gaps in the walls to be repaired, but the cracks within the people of God, they also needed to be mended and be healed. It's not enough that the walls are repaired, but there are cracks in the hearts of the people of God. The chapter ends with this amazing Example of Nehemiah is an example of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah foreshadows for us Jesus who was to come. We see him forsaking everything that he, he was entitled for in order to serve his fellow sisters and brothers. We see him feeding people around his table in order to serve his brothers and sisters. That is an example of Jesus Christ, whom we are told about that he came not, he came to be, he came not to be served, but to serve. He willingly gave his own life that he may save us from our sins. He exchanged his righteousness for our sins. And we see Nehemiah modeling that as we come to the end of this chapter. If you read from verses 14 through to verses 19, it's a beautiful picture of a Christ-like behavior. He doesn't demand, but he gives. He knows his perks for his job as a governor, but he gives them all away for the sake of the poor. Now, we must not be tempted to admire Nehemiah and think Nehemiah is the ultimate example. No, Nehemiah is a foreshadow of the ultimate example whom we have, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our ultimate example. And when we're not sure what to do in those circumstances similar to Nehemiah, let's remember Jesus. But also let's remember that we cannot be able to model or emulate Jesus' example on our own. And this is why I love the words of Jesus in that farewell discourse in the, in the Gospel of John as he is about to leave his disciples. He says to them, I'm not leaving you as orphans, but I'm leaving you with the Holy Spirit who will be in you and who will be with you. He will remind you everything I have taught you. He will be in you, and he will be with you. If you are a Christ follower, that's what you have. Those are the resources, are the resources you have. 
You have the ministry of the Holy Spirit to empower you in times when you are not sure what to do. Maybe like Nehemiah, when you are not sure what to do, the right thing is to step back and ponder for a moment. I know that we have a meeting, so that's why I'm ending my message quicker because I don't want to take longer time. Um, but that's what we learn from Nehemiah. We are to be consistent in our business and in our church life. But ultimately, Nehemiah is a Christ-like example for us. And if you are a Christ follower this morning, you can't do what Jesus did without the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you are not a Christ follower this morning, you can be able to have the Holy Spirit of Jesus in you by confessing your need of Jesus Christ and by confessing that you are a sinner and he is your Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess with shame that naturally it's easy for us to say all the right things, but when it comes for us to leave them out, we struggle. Yet, Lord, you call us to model a Christ-like life. So, Father, as we now take a moment to come around your table, may you remind us of the gospel, of what you've done for us on the cross, and of what you continue to do for us as you forgive us every day as you wash us clean every day, as you call us in to a deeper and intimate relationship with you. Help us to ponder on what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.